We're so glad you came here tonight, and on Sunday nights we're studying the book of John, and I invite you to take a copy of God's Word and look with us to our passage, uh, the book of John, chapter 6. The book of John, chapter 6, and we'll begin reading with verse 1. John tells us why he wrote this book. He wrote this book in order that we would know that Jesus is the Christ and that he is God's Son, and he tells us that in the last part of his book. And so he's telling us the stories about our Lord Jesus, showing us information by his teaching and by his action that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. This story is a very familiar story to most people, and it's a very important story, as we'll see in a few moments. The book of John, chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias, A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. And then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. And therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them for everyone to receive a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are those for so many people? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. And now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus then took the loaves and given thanks. He distributed to those who were seated, likewise also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. And so they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who who had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Pray with me. Our Father, tonight as we examine this miracle of our Lord Jesus, it may be very familiar familiar to us, Father, but I pray you'll help us see it in a new light. That, Father, we'll understand how miracles take place. Because, Father, it's possible many of us need a miracle tonight. Or we might need one soon. Or we might be the way to provide a miracle for someone. So, Father, teach us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Harold Morris, in his book, Twice Pardoned, tells the incredible, amazing story of an all-star athlete who ended up on death row. Harold Morris was a college student. In fact, after he finished college, he was a college athlete. But after college, he was traveling with some of his friends. They were just out riding. They were from Florida, and they crossed the state line. Harold was driving. They pulled up to a convenience store, and his friends got out, and Harold just stayed in the car. When all of a sudden, he heard gunshots, and his friends came running out, jumped in the car, and told him to drive, and he took off. That's when he found out that his friends had gone into the store to rob the place and killed a man. Harold knew nothing about it. They even admitted that. But he was driving the vehicle. They crossed state line. He got, they got back into Florida, and he was arrested, and he was also charged with murder. 
And so they sentenced him in Georgia to one of the toughest, meanest prisons in Georgia. Harold Morris said in his book that he decided the only way that he could survive, he had to become the meanest, toughest prisoner in prison. And by all accounts, he succeeded. But one day, he was watching a a baseball game between the inmates, and he saw a 12-year-old boy on the other side of the fence. And he stood up, and he walked over to talk to the boy. The, The guards wouldn't let him. Well, later, they started playing another game. He got up. This time, the guards let him go over there, and he started talking to this boy. The boy said, my name is Cliff Miller. My dad is a state trooper. My mom is a nurse in the prison. And so they just began to talk. And then over time, they just would talk to one another. Then one day, Cliff saw Harold playing basketball, and Cliff was a basketball player, and he said, could you give me some pointers? And so he started coaching him behind the fence. And while he was coaching Cliff, Cliff kept telling him about Jesus. He kept telling him what Jesus could do for Harold's life, but Harold wanted nothing to do with it. So one night, Harold was listening to a radio broadcast of a basketball game and found out that that game, Cliff scored 27 points, became the most valuable player. And they were interviewing Cliff on the radio, and the man said, were you nervous tonight in this game? And Cliff responded and said, no, sir. Win or lose, I knew God was with me. You see, I'm a Christian. Everything I do in life, I do for Jesus Christ, and I will give him the glory. Harold said when he heard that, something changed in his heart. He wanted what Cliff had. And he got on his knees at roach-infested prison and gave his life to Christ. It's an incredible story, and by a miracle of God, Harold was actually released later. But it's all because a young boy gave what he had. A young boy provided a miracle that changed this man's life. In our text tonight, we're we're seeing an incredible miracle. And we know it's incredible because this miracle is in all four Gospels. And also, this is a miracle performed in front of the largest number of people. It's that important to put in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's a miracle of a boy who was willing to give what he had for Jesus. So tonight, let's look at it. I don't want to talk about miracles. Number one, miracles always begin with a problem. Miracles always begin with a problem. By the way, be careful to pray for a miracle, because if you're praying for a miracle, you're praying for a problem. Every miracle is an answer to a problem. That's what happened here. John begins by telling us in verse 1 that Jesus went away to, uh, to the other side of the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias, and a large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. So John is saying they were following Jesus, but they weren't following Jesus because he was the Messiah. They weren't following Jesus because they wanted to be saved. They were following him because they wanted to see miracles. They wanted to see something. They want to experience something. And so they were following him. In many ways, what John is saying, their belief system was very very superficial. They just wanted to see Jesus do something. And then John adds, very interesting, he said, verse 3, Then Jesus went up on a mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Now why would John add that part to the story? Why would John add that? almost in the middle of the story. He's already told us where he was. You see, here's what John is doing. And John does that actually throughout his book. He mentions the Passover to draw this parallel with Moses. 
Moses who led the people out of Egypt into the promised land. It was Moses who provided the Passover, remember? It was Moses who went up onto the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. God used Moses to give manna to the people in the wilderness. Do you, do you see the similarities? Here's John saying, Jesus went up to the mountain just like Moses. And this is about the same time Passover. Remember what happened to Moses? So Passover is being mentioned just to give people, not just a timetable, but to show them that Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is the prophet of whom Moses wrote about in Deuteronomy. And so Jesus looks up in verse 5. And seeing a large crowd was coming to him, he said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? So Jesus is teaching. He looks up, and there's thousands of people. And he turns to Philip. He said, Philip, I've got a question for you. Where are we going to find bread for these people? Where are we going to find the food for these people? Now, why, why would he ask Philip? Why not ask somebody else? Well, well first of all, the, Philip is from this region. This is Philip's hometown area. If anyone knew where to go, it would be Philip. But the second reason, Philip was the analytical one. You know, everyone has personality types, and, and Philip was the analytical personality type. In fact, you go back, look, every time Philip is mentioned, he's analyzing something. He's dissecting something. So when Jesus asked Philip this question, this very difficult task, where are we going to find food for this? Philip is going to analyze it and figure it out. Philip had a problem, and he was going to solve the problem himself. What do you do with your problems? Have you ever noticed what people do with problems? I mean, some people, they exaggerate their problems. Some people, whatever problem they have is the worst problem in the world. Oh, I'll never get out of this. Oh, it's it. It's over. No one has ever had this kind of problem. Oh, I have no friends. No one cares. No one's listening to me. I mean, they exaggerate their problem. And when they do that, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And by the way, here's what I learned. People who exaggerate their problems never solve their problems. You know why? They're frozen. When you exaggerate your problems, you don't do anything. And by not doing anything, you just make the problem bigger and bigger anyway. Some people underestimate the problem. That's the opposite. Some people, they have a problem in life, but they'll say, oh, there's no big deal. Oh, I can handle this. I oh, I don't need help. Well, it'll, it'll just go away. We, we'll just don't worry about it. These people put blinders on. These people are afraid to face responsibility. They fear action more than the problem. Now, by the way, I mean, between men and women, guess who exaggerates more? <laughs> no. Actually not. Women exaggerate more. Men underestimate. Here's why. Men don't want to deal with the problem. They don't deal with it. I've done enough counseling. I can tell you that. Wives will come in and say, this, this, no one can help us. This, this is over. And the man said, we don't have a problem. You're in my office. Look around. If you're in my office, you got a problem, okay? Usually. So, it's a tendency. You, sometimes people exaggerate. Sometimes people underestimate. What we should do is examine our problem. Look at the problem carefully. 
Look at a problem, like a scientist examines something under a microscope. Look at it from every situation. And that's what Philip is going to do. Philip is going to examine the problem. But here's this problem. How do you feed 5,000 people? Well, Philip begins to examine it. Look what he says. Verse 7. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them for everyone to receive a little. Now, this shows you how sharp Philip is. He looks out. He estimates the number of people. He's already estimated how much money it was going to cost to just give everyone a bite. I mean, he is very precise. He said 200 denarii. Now, a denarius was a day wage. This is two-thirds of a year's salary. Philip is very practical, very precise. He is examining this problem. But I want you to notice something. What did Jesus ask? Jesus asked, not how are we going to feed him, but where? Where are we going to get the bread? Where? Hey, Philip, where are we going to get the bread for this? Where are we going to buy the bread for this? Philip is answering the how, uh, trying to figure the how. Jesus asked the where. Do you realize the irony of this? Do you realize who's standing in front of Philip? Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, is asking Philip, where are we going to go? Jesus, the giver of life, is standing right in front of Philip saying, where are we going to get the food? Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, is standing right in front of Philip saying, where are we going to get the food? He doesn't see it. Jesus, the Lord of Lords, asking the question, but Philip doesn't see it. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, standing right there, and Philip doesn't see it. Jesus, standing in front of this chosen apostle. Jesus, the Messiah, standing right there, and Philip doesn't see it. You see, the biggest issue with our problems is not how, but where you're going to turn. If you've got a problem, you've got a major problem, you need to turn to Jesus. Now, there's nothing wrong with being practical, and we need to be practical. Uh, Many times people say and and do things under the umbrella of faith to excuse their laziness, in all honesty. That's wrong. We, We need to be very practical in life. But the greater danger is not acting foolishly, but just refusing to look to Jesus for help. Now look what John says in verse 6. He asked Philip where we're going to get the food. And John says for us to know, this was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. By the way, nowhere in the Gospels does Jesus ever ask for advice or ask somebody what to do, except this time, And John tells us, oh, by the way, he knows exactly what he's going to do. Jesus doesn't need to ask our advice. Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do. What he was doing, it says, he was testing him. Sometimes your greatest problem is a test from God. Sometimes... Your greatest problem is a test from God to see how you will pass the test to see if you will get a bigger assignment. You see, we see this through Scripture. Jesus will give us a test to see if we're ready for something bigger. Remember David? Before he ever fought Goliath, he fought a lion and a bear. Before Elijah uh, met the prophets of Baal, he stayed in that valley during a drought. 
Small test comes before big task. And God will send tests to us to see what our task will be. Now, we know this principle. No, a ship is not uh, seaworthy and dry dog. It has to go out and, and survive in the ocean. A soldier is not battle-proven because he went through boot camp, but until he faced enemy fire. So faith is only proven by the testings of life. And so Jesus is asking Philip this question in order to test him. And all tests, by the way, I can boil down every test of God with one question. Do you trust me or not? Every test God gives to us will be that based on that question. Do you trust me or not? And so God is testing. And here's Jesus asking a question to test Philip. Now, please understand, the Bible says God will test, but Satan tempts. God never tempts us. God tests us. Satan tempts us. Testing brings out the best in us. Temptation brings out the worst in us. Testing always comes from God. Temptation always comes from Satan. When God tests us, God wants us to pass. When Satan tempts us, he wants us to fail. So here they have a problem, and Jesus turns to Philip and says, All right, Philip, where are you going to get the bread? He says it to test him because Jesus knew what he was going to do. You're never going to take Jesus by surprise. Nothing ever happens in your life that Jesus is going to say, I didn't see that coming. Whoa, I, I, how I miss that? Everything that comes into our lives, it's no, I mean, Jesus already knew about it, and he knows what he's going to do about it. Notice number two, miracles happen when we give what we have to Jesus. They need a miracle. They don't know what to do. Verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are those for so many people? Here comes Andrew. Now, I'm not sure why Andrew did this. You got 5,000 people, really more than 5,000 people. And Andrew comes and says, hey, I don't know. I got this kid here. He has a, he has a lunch. This makes no sense. What, was he just trying to, to tell Jesus, oh, well, at least you can eat Jesus? Was he trying to say, Jesus, can we do something with this? I don't know. But every time Andrew is mentioned in the Bible, he's bringing someone to Jesus. Every single time. Imagine that's your. Imagine if everyone knew you by that. Every time Andrew is mentioned, he's bringing someone to Jesus. And so he brings his boy. The, the word is padaron. It means a very small child. We're talking about a five or six-year-old. He comes with this five or six-year-old, and he says he has some fish. He has Five barley loaves and two fish. That word fish is opsaria. It, it, it means small fish. It means pickle fish. Think sardines, okay? He's not bringing bass or trout. He's bringing sardines. His mom packed his lunch. So he has some small sardines, and he also has barley loaves. Not just loaves, but barley loaves. And that's important because barley loaves was considered the lowest kind of food you could have in that society. In fact, it was so bad, if you were in the Roman army and you disobeyed a command, they would put you on barley loaves as punishment. If someone came to your house in the Jewish culture and you wanted to insult them, you would offer them barley loaves. I mean, it was for only the very poor people, or you're trying to insult someone. But here's a child, a very poor child. His mom packed his lunch, and he has some sardines and some barley loaves. And Andrew says, I don't know what you can do with it. 
But here it is, Jesus. I mean, this boy is small, insignificant, with a meaningless meal. But he was in the right place at the right time, and he was prepared. In the eyes of the world, he meant nothing. Again, he had to be poor. He had barley loaves, probably a slave, a child in a society that didn't respect children. He was nothing, but in the eyes of God, he was everything. Do you realize in the eyes of the world, we're nothing? (laughs) In the eyes of the world, they look at us and say that Christianity is a crutch, just something psychological. The world says that we are insignificant, but to God, we are his children. The world says that we are worthless, but to God, he says we are priceless. And you and I may be insignificant to the world's standard, but in the eyes of God, we are significant, and God can use us. And here's this little child with a happy meal and 5,000 people, but he gave it to Jesus. That's the key. It doesn't make a difference what you have. It's who did you give it to? And he gave it all to Jesus. You see, whatever you have, we talk about this every January in stewardship. What do you have? You need to give it to Jesus. You need to give your time to Jesus. Whether it's coming to, to church or daily Bible reading or joining a life group, you need to give your, your talents to Jesus. What, whatever your talents are, you need to give it to Jesus. Your treasure, you need to give it to Jesus. And this boy gave all that he had. He transferred ownership of what he had to Jesus. And Jesus took a happy meal. He took a snack into all-you-can-eat buffet. It's really an amazing story. But miracles do not happen until you give what you have to Jesus. You see, God already owns everything. He has the wealth of the universe. You and I, we own nothing. God just allows us to manage what he owns, but he wants us to offer it back to him for him to use. And a miracle is about to take place. And here's something that's amazing to me. Amazing to me. There's only one person in this whole story that doesn't need a miracle. It's the boy. He has a meal. There are over 5,000 people who are hungry, and they need a miracle. The only person that didn't need the miracle was the boy, but he was going to be the answer to do the miracle. Here's what I know. You may need a miracle tonight in your life, but if you don't, you may be the person God's going to use to provide the miracle. But you've got to give it all to Jesus. You see, we say it many times, you're either going through a problem or you should be helping people with problems. And so this young boy, he gives it all. And again, if you, if you don't need a miracle, then maybe God wants you to be the miracle. So what does Jesus do? He, he takes this meal, and he's going to do a miracle. Third, miracles happen when we are obedient to Jesus. Miracles happen when we are obedient to Jesus. Look what Jesus is going to do. Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, and there were number about 5,000. So we know there's more than 5,000, just 5,000 men. Look what happens that Jesus is doing. He's giving us the the pattern of, of having miracles in our life. Number one, you listen to Jesus. Jesus doesn't just do a miracle. He says, all right, I want you to sit down in the grass. We find out later that he puts them in in order. He puts them in groups. Why would he do that? 
Now, now some say he did it so he'd be more organized, but I submit to you he does it for another reason. You go back and look at the miracles of our Lord Jesus, most of the time he asked someone to do something with obedience. Remember Lazarus? He told them to remove the stone. He's about to raise the dead. Do you not think he could remove a stone? He could have had the angels come down to remove the stone, but he wants them to do something in obedience. Remember the story about the man who, uh, the paralytic, he said, Take up your mat and walk. I want you to be obedient to me. Remember the lepers? He said, go, show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were healed. Many of the miracles, Jesus will ask for something. And if you are obedient, the miracle will take place. That's why we always have to ask the question, is God asking you to do something? You need to be obedient to him. You need to be listening to him. So number one, we need to listen to Jesus. Number two, we need to leave it to Jesus. We need to leave it to Jesus. Jesus is the one who's doing the miracle. It is Jesus who's doing all the work. He's just letting the disciples help him, but Jesus is doing the miracle. There's a key to this, leaving it to Jesus. He asked the disciples to help him. Listen, when you leave something to Jesus, it does not mean you don't work. It never means that. It means you, can, you do what God has set you to do. I mean, Jesus, think about it. He could have had it rain manna. Jesus could have said a word and everyone could have been filled. Now, what Jesus is going to do, he is going to use the disciples to pass out the bread and the fish. But it's going to be up to Jesus to do it. We leave it up to Jesus and let Jesus work through us. Because here's what we've you've heard me say this many, many times in this church. God will do what God can do when we do what we can do. God can do what God will do what God will do when we do what we can do. For example, David and Goliath. Why did David take a slingshot out there? I mean, to me, why don't why he just go out there and say, hey, God, there he is. Why didn't he, why didn't he even go out there? Why didn't he just pray, God, strike him down? But no, he went out there, he took a slingshot. Why? Because he could use a slingshot. He examined the armor of the Goliath, and there was a, there was a place on the forehead that was open. If you had a slingshot, a slingshot you could probably hit that, that target. I mean, why did Samson use the, the jawbone of a donkey? Why? Because that's what he had. He was going to do what he could do. The raising of Lazarus, we already talked about that. He said, come forth. And then he told them, un, un, unbind him. Remember? Why? Because I want you to do what you can do. You, God will do what God can do when we will do what we can do. You see, we play, with, we play games with God. We pray and we want God to do everything but God wants us to do what we can do. Oh, we pray for the salvation of our family and friends, but then we never share our faith. We, we pray for our life group to grow, but then we don't call and invite people. We pray to be used of God, but we don't leave the safety of our homes. God will do what God can do when we do what we can do. And so Jesus passes out these fragments. And did you notice what happened? Verse 13. And they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the bar five barley loaves, which were left over. In Jesus' day, the rabbi would teach and the rabbi would leave food for his servants. What Jesus did, the disciples never forgot. In fact, later on in the story, in, the, in a few chapters, we're going to see this happening again. Jesus provided an equal share to all the disciples, 12 baskets. He wanted them to gather the excess of the food because he wanted them to remember. 
you did your work, here's your reward. And they never forgot what could happen in the hands of Jesus. The principle is pretty simple. When you want God to multiply something in your life, you give it to God first. You want more time in your life? Give God your time, and God will multiply your time. Give God your talent. You'll be amazed how much more talent you'll have. God loves to take small things and make big things out of it. God took the tears of a baby and melted the heart of Pharaoh's daughter to save Moses. God took a small bush in the desert and he showed Moses how to free his people. God took a small stone and with it, David killed a giant. And God took a small boy with a small meal to feed 5,000 people. God took some uneducated, unsophisticated men and they turned the world upside down. In every case, it was given to God. I read a story about a famous violinist who was scheduled to play this concert hall. And he, word got out he was going to play a priceless Stradivarius. And all through the town, all through the surrounding areas, they couldn't wait because they had never heard of Stradivarius. And all they talked about was the Stradivarius, the Stradivarius. I can't wait to hear the Stradivarius. Oh, can you imagine? We're going to hear Stradivarius. Stradivarius never come to this town. That's all, that, all they talked about. The night of the concert, the man stood up. He removed the violin from the case. As soon as he removed the violin from the case, they would go, ooh, ah, the Stradivarius. That's Str- I've never seen the Stradivarius. Look at that Stradivarius. And he began to play beautiful music. People were cheering. They've never heard anything like it before. It was the most beautiful music they'd ever heard as he played this incredible instrument. And he played about 15 minutes, 20 minutes. And then he stopped, and he took the violin and smashed it. And people screamed. And he said this, that's not a Stradivarius. That's a $50 violin I bought in town. Here's the Stradivarius. He went over and got the Stradivarius and brought it back to the center of the stage. He said, I wanted you to know it is not the instrument. It is the artist who draws the bow across the string that makes the music. You see, tonight, we're all cheap fiddles. We're an insignificant meal of some minnows and muffins. But in the hands of the master, our lives can be a buffet, a blessing to the world if we're willing to give it to Jesus. If you're here tonight and you've never given your life to Jesus, that's where you begin. If you're watching online, if you would text the word today at 270-398-5005, text the word today, and a minister will give you a call to talk about your decision of giving your life to Christ. But if you're here in person... In a few moments, we'll begin singing. Just come to the front, talk to me or one of the ministers and to say, I want to give my life to Christ or maybe join this church or whatever it may be. But whatever it is, you need to give it all to Jesus. Would you stand by your heads? Our Father, tonight we, we admit that sometimes we get overwhelmed 
We look at a problem, Father, and we exaggerate how bad it is. Or, Father, we might have a problem and we underestimate it and don't even think it is a problem. But, Father, I pray tonight that we bring everything to you. That, Father, we bring you our problems. Father, we bring you our talents. Father, we bring you our gifts. Father, we bring you everything. Because according to your word, as we bring it to you, you multiply it. Father, use us that we may be a miracle in someone's lives. But, Father, begins tonight, if there's anyone here who needs to give their life to Christ in that personal way, Father, let them make that decision. And, Father, we give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.